We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Polls, presented by the Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome, Bears fans, to Picks for Polls, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal, recording on Monday, April 24th, here, only a few days away from the start of the 2023 NFL draft. And Usaid, we finally made it here. It's draft week. Everything is com- coming to this moment right here. It's it's a very exciting time, and honestly, like I think we're all just waiting you know, just hoping that the next few days will get through quickly. But before we get to the topics of today, which we have a lot to cover today in regards to previewing this upcoming draft, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. You're right. It's like 72-ish hours away from the NFL draft, which is obviously, again, super exciting. So I feel like this draft process has just been such a whirlwind, and there's a lot of different reports going on, right? You look at kind of the first report this morning, which – was that it's going to be crazy no one knows what's going to happen I mean I think in all honesty like this is probably one of the craziest first rounds I've ever seen that's not because of the quarterback class I just think that the top 10 there's so much uncertainty in general which again is completely offset by the fact that you had a handful of you know signings go down today like the Giants going with a Sean Robinson bringing him in the Packers going ahead and trading Aaron Rodgers the Houston Texans basically not sold on a quarterback but pretty much I think they're lying in the cards too like they've got their future in Kyler Murray but it's a roster that needs a retooling. So it's just so much uncertainty surrounding what's going on that Thursday night, you are not going to want to get up and even go take a bathroom break. Cause if you do, you're going to miss all the action. Yeah. There, there's a lot to dig into. And I honestly feel like the, the entire night on Thursday, I'm just going to be glued to my phone um, on Twitter, just looking for any updates we can get. And there's probably gonna be a lot of chaos because I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of fake accounts out there. Um, with all, all the blue check marks out of the way now on Twitter. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of chaos with fake accounts posting BS uh, draft rumors and all that stuff on draft night. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of storylines and a lot of uncertainty here, like you said. I think one of the unique things about this year's draft is that it seems like a lot of NFL teams are not sold on you know, who the top prospects are in this draft. Um, we've heard reports that there's only about like a lot of teams only have like 15 first round grades in this year's draft, which it isn't like uncommon for there to not be a full like 30 um, to first round grades. Um, in any given draft, I mean, it's just the way it works, draft to draft. But this year, it feels like a particularly low amount of really high-end talent um, that teams are really excited about here um, in the top 10. And, you know, guys in the late first round that teams feel confident in or comfortable with taking in the late first round. So uh, a lot of teams probably looking to be active, trying to trade down and get more picks in this draft uh, to make up for that. So, yeah, I mean, where we can start here as we get into our preview for this 2023 NFL draft, I guess let's just start with the quarterbacks here. And you mentioned it like Houston at number two overall, I think is going to be probably the biggest pivot point of this draft and determine how the rest of the draft really plays out. Because, you know, we're assuming right now that the Carolina Panthers, it sounds like they are going with Bryce Young at number one overall. That's not confirmed, but it sounds like if we're reading all the tea leaves of what's going on right now, um, it certainly sounds like Bryce Young is the pick for the Panthers uh, with the first overall pick. So we're things really get interesting is with Houston at number two overall. We've known for a while now that, you know, they've been all in on Bryce Young being their guy um, really ever since, you know, ever since they screwed up not getting the number one overall pick, we're being honest here, which I mean, it's on them for, for not, uh, you know, taking that last game against the Colts, but you know, Hey, Levy Smith, we, we thank you every single day as Bears fans for uh, making that happen. Uh, but the Texans here, uh, a lot of rumors swirling around them that they're not interested in drafting one of these quarterbacks at number two overall, that they would rather draft one of these highly touted defensive prospects such as Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson or maybe a Jalen Carter, and then either punt on drafting a quarterback until next year or with their 12th overall selection, look to trade up into the top 10 once again to get the third or fourth quarterback, whoever falls um, later on into you know the top 10 discussion there so there's a lot of moving parts of the houston texans here um you say what's your take on the houston situation and ultimately like, do you think you know the rumors are legit that they're not looking quarterback or do you think that this is all just you know they're blowing smoke and they're trying to you know get teams a little bit um on edge about what they're planning on doing here at number two it's a bit of both for me, and it's a bit of both simply because when you look at it, I mean, the Houston Texans, again, they're known as perhaps the most dysfunctional franchise in the NFL with the number of head coaching changes that they've had. It's like you have Jack Easterby, Nick Casario there, the president and general manager. They never really seem to have a clear or defined vision for what they want the franchise to look like. Everyone talks about winning championships, stringing together Super Bowl caliber rosters, but it's just been very clear under Kassir and Easterby, the Texans haven't been able to do so. Now, for those that need a refresher, the 12th overall pick comes over from the Cleveland Browns in the Deshaun Watson trade. See, it's interesting because we were sitting here in January looking at the draft board and saying, why not 2-12 and 12 for the Bears' first overall pick? That was, I don't ever think, a realistic possibility because the Texans seemed so hesitant. But now you have an opportunity to get a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud, depending on what the Panthers do. Because, again, we could say the Panthers are sold on Bryce Young per the media reports, but we don't really know because it is 
lying season in the NFL. And so what this ultimately comes down to is this, is if you're the Texans, I understand the report behind Tyree Wilson or Will Anderson over a quarterback, because if I'm looking at the state of this roster, they're not going to contend this year. They are not going to contend next year either. But what they do have is a second overall pick. Houston's also got the 12th overall pick. A team that's going to trade up to try and make a leap inside the top 15 means you are likely giving up a future first round pick in 2024. And so if I'm Casario and I'm Easterby, I am D'Amico Ryans, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, hey, this is an average quarterback class compared to what we've seen in 2020, 2021, and then 2022 as well. 2022 is the worst class that we've seen. It's actually worse than this year's, by the way. But the point I'm making is you have Caleb Williams and Drake Mai coming out of USC and UNC next year. I would say the Texans' plans revolve around let's just wait another year for a quarterback. We know we're not going to be relevant this year. Meyer Williams is the way to go in 2024, but this year they just have to trade down from 12 and accumulate that draft capital to be able to make that big jump next year. Yeah, I think it's certainly possible. Like D'Amico Ryans, he signed a six-year contract. So we know that he feels pretty secure and that he's going to be the long-term guy for them at head coach. Um, And it could be a situation where if they don't love any of these quarterbacks outside of Bryce Young, where um, they decide they want to, you know, wait it out and see if they can get, you know, Caleb Williams, or like you said, uh, Drake May next year, because those two guys are certainly in the discussion for being the number one overall pick in the 2024 NFL draft. And the Texans, you look at right now, like, yeah, it's not guaranteed that they're going to be picking as high as they are um, this year, but they had two first round picks from, um, you know, their own first round pick and a first round pick they got from the Cleveland Browns and the Sean Watson deal. Um, so they have the draft capital to, you know, trade up for a guy if they need to. And, you know, honestly, if they if they pass on a quarterback, they're probably going to be bad enough anyway, where they're going to be having a high pick once again. So I think that would make, I don't know, some sense. But part of me also thinks like, you know what, you're at number two overall. There's no guarantee that you're going to be in this position again to draft a quarterback. And, you know, say what you will about some of the other guys besides Bryce Young, I, I think – you know, for what it's worth, like Richardson, Stroud, and Levis, all three of them have qualities to where I think NFL teams can view them as potential franchise quarterbacks at the next level. And, you know, to pass up on that opportunity, do not take a shot on a quarterback when you desperately need, you know, to get the ball rolling on that. It would be a very bold strategy, but also one that I come to expect from the Houston Texans there. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, going defense at number two overall is certainly in play. Um, I wouldn't be surprised then if they decide to try to move up from 12 to get a quarterback or if they just decide to stay in Pat and maybe fill out that defense even more and try to get more players for Tomiko Ryans um, and try to fill out that defensive roster because the defensive side of the ball for them needs a lot of work as well. And you'll see if they can make a move later on. So if they decide to go that, th- that direction, that really changes things up because at number three overall, you have the Arizona Cardinals who are a team that, is going into a rebuild here, or at least a little bit of a transition. They, you know, they fired Steve Kime um, in the offseason. They brought in Ma, uh, Masi uh, Osenfort from the Tennessee Titans to be their GM. And the, I, the way I think they're going to be operating is that this team is in a spot where they need to rebuild. They have Kyler Murray on a big contract, but he's likely not playing 
at all next year. So, you know, for 2023 purposes, like this entire season is basically a wash. This is all just a wasted year, a rebuilding year to try to reset things. And, um, you know, hopefully they're bad enough to get a top pick next year and try to trade down even more and get more picks uh, potentially there. But I think for them, the conversation is, do they decide to trade down at number three overall? And who's willing to come up and get a quarterback? Because assuming that the Houston Texans decides to pass on the quarterback, you have Stroud, you have Richardson, and you have Levis all on the board. And you know there are some teams I think would be willing to get one of those guys to jump the Indianapolis Colts, who we know are going to be drafting quarterback in this year's draft. So you say when you look at the Arizona Cardinals here, you know how important do you think it is for them to trade down? And who are some of the teams that you're looking at that could be options for them as trade partners there? It's incredibly important for the Arizona Cardinals to explore every opportunity because it was a total reset in the front office and the coaching staff this year in the desert. I mean, you mentioned Monty Austin for replacing Steve Kime. You have the owner, Michael Bidwell, there who is hands-on but doesn't necessarily know football. And then on top of that, you have Jonathan Gannon, the new head coach, taking over for Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, people really tend to forget the Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury and then drafted Kyler Murray. And that was a semi-successful experiment. It wasn't overly successful by any means because the cards really had one good season. You look at kind of the pushes that the previous regime made acquiring DeAndre Hopkins. Well, he's on his way out. They drafted Isaiah Simmons back in 2020. And it's something where it just really has not been the roster that you would have hoped. There's a fine line between what's going on here. On one hand, I understand the rationale between just sticking at three and taking Paris Johnson Jr., who, again, is a surefire of an offensive tackle, the best in this class, by the way, with Northwestern's Peter Skaronsky being second. But if you're the Cardinals, I mean, you have to understand the pivotal moment you're in. You are latched on a Kyler Murray's contract for at least the next three to four years. That means you have this window to maximize. You have an offense that has some playmakers, but... Again, it's not necessarily anything that blows you away. And so I would say this. You go ahead and you trade down. When you trade down, you are essentially looking at a team such as the Las Vegas Raiders, for example, that could look to jump up for a quarterback. But then there are other teams as well that could certainly want to move up. And, you know, what makes the Cardinals so intriguing is they're the one of the few teams in the top 10 that has a surefire franchise quarterback but does not necessarily – have the roster flexibility and what i mean by that is they have the quarterback in place but they've got all these other needs too so you could see them taking a will anderson a tyree wilson a paris johnson jr but you know looking at the draft board i mean i don't think the indianapolis Colts were fourth overall move up once but, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, I mean, the Cardinals are not going to trade with a division rival. And so that really, I think, leaves the Atlanta Falcons that are the next logical team inside the top 10 to make the jump from eight to three with the Arizona Cardinals. But if we're going to get outside the top 10, I mean, the number one team that sticks out to me is the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill, clearly not the future. Again, the XGM in Tennessee John Robinson traded for Tannehill when the Marcus Mariota experiment didn't work out. And Tennessee has been rumored to be in conversations with a handful of teams in the top 10. So really I think the buck for me stops at Tennessee, just because if I look at the middle part of the first round, you look at the New England Patriots, the Washington commanders. I mean, there's no way those teams are going to make the jump from 14 or 16 up to third overall. We're driven by the search for better. 
But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think the Titans are probably the team that would be the furthest. I think that the Cardinals would be willing to move down. Um, probably because, you know, the Titans and Cardinals, they have that connection where Rosenford comes from the Titans front office. So there is that a bit of familiarity there where um, two GMs that kind of know each other um, in the building a little bit. So you, you get some of that connection there. Now, with that said, in terms of realistic options, I, I agree. I think the Raiders make a lot of sense. I think them they would probably look to trade up for CJ Stroud. I just think he makes so much sense for you know kind of what Josh McDaniels wants to do with that offense. Um, you know, where it's a lot of timing routes, it's a lot of get the ball out uh, in the middle of the field. You need a quick, decisive, accurate pocket passer, and that's exactly what CJ Stroud is. Um, and then I look at the Falcons, like how much fun would the Falcons be if they were able to trade up and get Anthony Richardson? Um, in that offense, uh, where Arthur Smith, we know that he loves having a quarterback that can run and have the quarterback run game a little bit, read option and things like that. I'm not convinced they're committed to Desmond Ritter for this year. Maybe if you draft Richardson, you commit to Desmond Ritter for this year and give Richardson some time to develop because he does need to work out a couple things in his game. Um, but, you know, that would just be a really fun fit. Um, and I could certainly see a team looking to trade up for Will Levis too. There's there's a lot of rumors that Will Levis could be the second quarterback taken when it's all said and done. Although I'm not sure if I you know quite I, I don't know if I'm quite there yet on, on that um, because I do have my questions about Will Levis as a whole. I think Stroud or Richardson is probably the best bet to go second overall or, or second amongst the quarterbacks. Um, with this said, I'll throw out this scenario to you. You said let's say the Texans pass up on a quarterback at number two overall, get the top defensive player on the board. Do you think they would be bold enough to trade up from 12 then to de- then get their quarterback of choice with the Cardinals at three? Do you think they would be crazy enough to, to do that? Or do you think that's just a bunch of uh, pre-draft nonsense that I'm bringing up here just to, uh, you know, get some crazy hypotheticals going? What do you think? Sorry, I was muted there, but it's such an intense. <laughs> scenario i just really don't see it happening simply because it's okay so when we look at nick casario he comes from that new england patriots front office tree and again that's just a regime and that's kind of a scouting and evaluation a team building mindset that's always just hey we're going to take best player available but we're going to match up the value as well and if we're going to be honest like quite frankly the patriots have never the Patriots and, you know, the head coaches as well as some of the executives who tend to go and get jobs in other places, they are never really known as guys who are going to make those big, bold moves. They're so stuck in their ways. Now, 
I don't think the Texans are bold enough to do that because at that point you are trading up nine spots. And again, when the bears traded from 20 to 11 to draft Justin Fields, they had to give a future first round pick when the 49ers traded from, I believe 12 to three in the 2021 NFL draft with the Miami dolphins, the 49ers gave up three first round picks. So that asking price, it's going to be a hell of a lot for Houston to go ahead and meet. And, if we're going to be real, I mean, listen, that's a team that if they get their young quarterback and they get their edge rusher, that's cool. That's awesome. But at the end of the day, then who are you going to throw to, right? How are you going to build the roster? It just doesn't make sense to sacrifice the future for what could feel really or what's going to feel great in the moment. Yeah, that would certainly be a wild scenario. I don't think it's anything that happens, to be honest with you. I could see the Texans trading up, though, for a quarterback. And one of the teams that they could trade up for is with the Bears if a quarterback makes it to number nine overall. So let's say that, you know, Bryson goes first overall. You see a quarterback go number three, whether it's the Raiders, whether it's the Falcons, whether it's uh, the Tennessee Titans. Um, and then number four, you have the Colts drafting a quarterback. You then have this situation where, you know, I think probably Will Levis is probably on the board at that point. At, you know, the Seahawks and Lions, I don't think they'd be interested um, in drafting CJ or Will Levis, I should say. Um, And then seven or eight, I mean, that's either one of the Falcons or Raiders, but would they be willing to draft QB4 and pass up on an impact defensive player? That I'm not sure. So let's say a guy gets to the Bears at number nine overall. You know, there are some teams I think that would be interested then in trading up with the Bears um, to get a quarterback. And I look at the Tennessee Titans, if they didn't trade up to number three, I think they would be interested in trading up with the Bears. I think, you know, the Texans pass on a quarterback. I think they'd be interested in moving up with the Bears. It's a lot less of a jump to do that as well, where you're talking about swapping like second round picks to kind of match that value, maybe a future pick um, as kind of like an incentive. Um, but there's, that's not certainly not a lot um, to move up and get a, a quarterback for you. Uh, and that's what you, talk, you bring up the commanders. I think the commanders would definitely be in play then if a quarterback was available at nine. So, um, you know, if a quarterback is available at number nine, you say, do you think the bears are motivated there to move down? And if so, like, do you think any of those three teams would make sense in that scenario? And, and are there any other teams that you think could be in play at number nine, if there's a quarterback available there? Yeah, I do think when you look at the Bears in ninth overall that there is a scenario where if one of these quarterbacks is on the board, they do consider moving down. And the one team that comes to my mind is the Seattle Seahawks. Look, they've got the 5th and 20th overall picks as a result of the massive Russell Wilson trade. There have been rumors all offseason about the status of Geno Smith and whether or not he's the future. Yes, Seattle signed him to a three-year deal, but listen up. I mean, Geno's not the future. This is a quarterback class where some of the guys need to sit a full year to really wait and develop. It's fair to argue that Geno last year was probably a major one-year wonder. So I look at the Seattle Seahawks and I say this, that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have this aggressive roster building philosophy. It's the first time that they've had multiple first-round picks. Why not go ahead and kind of make that jump? Get your quarterback of the future right now. No disrespect to Geno Smith, but Geno cannot get this team over the hump, but what Geno will do is be incredibly smart about the way that he handles being a bridge quarterback. He will be incredibly smart in the sense of 
being someone who is able to really be a mentor, just play smart football, just really be a leader in the locker room too. So the Seahawks are probably the biggest team to watch for the Bears at ninth overall. But if I was going to throw a complete wild card in there, just move up one spot, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You have Todd Bowles there going in year two. They have a roster that needs a bit of an overhaul, needs to be rebuilt. Tom Brady's no longer there. Yes, Baker Mayfield is on the roster, but he's not the future at all. So it's a situation where, you know what, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a team to watch as well as a team that could make this massive leap. Yeah, Buccaneers would certainly be a very interesting um, spot as well to move up because I think they are definitely in desperate need of a quarterback long term as well. If they see a guy that they like at number nine, I'm sure they'd be willing to make a call there for um, a quarterback there. But, you know, we've talked a lot about the quarterbacks here, you say. And, and speaking of quarterbacks, let's get to the big news that dropped today um, with uh, the Bears' rival in the NFC North, Green Bay Packers, finally trading Aaron Rodgers uh, to the New York Jets. This is a move that we knew was going to happen for months on end. And I mean, holy cow, it was like the biggest like drama filled, <laughs> you know, just when are they going to make this deal? Why aren't they making it happen? Like, what's the holdup? Um, and finally, the Packers and Jets get a deal done here. Uh, the Packers sending Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets in exchange um, for a pick swap in the first round with 13 to 15 overall, where the Packers are moving up two spots in that scenario. The Jets are giving uh, the Packers their second-round pick at 42 overall, which I think they got in the Cleveland Browns trade. It's one of the, one of those two. They're back-to-back pit, picks in the second round. Um, but they're getting a second-round pick, the Packers are. Um, and also a sixth-round pick from the Jets this year. In exchange, the Packers are giving the Jets a fifth-round pick uh, this year as well. It's kind of like a swap on day three. And then next year, the Jets are giving a conditional second-round pick that can be a first-round pick if Aaron Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps for the Jets uh, this upcoming season. So um, with that said, my, my thoughts on this trade, you say, are that you know, it seems like pretty fair value for Aaron Rodgers, maybe a little bit of an overpay for the Jets if things go south and Aaron Rodgers decides to retire after this year, which is definitely a possibility, which we never know. He's a different type of guy, so that could certainly be an option for him. Um, but it's a move that the Jets had to do. They're in a desperate situation where, you know, they they missed on Zach Wilson. They have this roster that's ready to win now. They have a great defense. They have some weapons on offense. They have to fill out some holes in the offensive line. And from a draft perspective, this does change some things where the Packers moving up two spots in the first round, I find that to be very interesting, you say, that they include that as part of the deal. Do you think that there's something there for the Packers in terms of a player specifically that they're, that they're looking to get? Or, I don't know, do you think there's not much to draw into this? What are your thoughts on the Packers here moving up from 15 to 13 as part of this Rodgers deal? And, you know, what impact do you think it's going to have on the draft as a whole? It's got a massive impact on the draft because for months we've been kind of waiting and speculating and I think it finally happened now. It's crazy how quickly things move because mid-March, a couple days before free agency, Aaron Rodgers is on the Pat McAfee show saying, hey, I'm not coming back. And then all of a sudden, I think Saturday or Sunday, we got the report that things were dormant and then another report leaked saying that, yeah, well, things have picked back up, but they're picking up steam. And today we see the big tree drop. What? You look at this whole thing, 
the way it went down. It was very clear a deal was going to get done. It was just a matter of when and not necessarily if, because Aaron made it very clear. This was the classic case of two sides coming together, knowing that Aaron couldn't make it work with the Packers anymore. And so he decided to move on, even though the Packers didn't necessarily want to move on. But for Mark Murphy, Matt LaFleur, Brian Gooden, Kiss, I mean, the writing was on the wall when they drafted Jordan Love four years ago. It was just a matter of when. So when you look at this, I mean, it's interesting because you move up two spots and now from 15 to 13, and now all of a sudden it does bring in a handful of possibilities for you, right? You are looking at the possibility of a wide receiver being there. Okay, well, if you don't go with a wide receiver like Jackson Smith and Jigba, you're basically saying we're pushing all our chips on the table for Christian Watson, who, by the way, last year towards the back end of the year really burst onto the scene. I would say this move is more so about getting an offensive tackle for Green Bay. And why? Because David Bakhtiari is getting older. The knee issues have been so prevalent for him. Again, Eggleton Jenkins really only the major building block that they have. And so I think with this pick, they go and say, hey, we want an offensive tackle. We can certainly go ahead and address wide receiver later. And why? Because if I look at the second round, I mean, it's very clear that the Green Bay Packers pick at 45th overall as well, right? So you're looking at this kind of situation where they have some draft capital. And really, again, the meat of this draft is the second and third round anyway. So, yeah, we want to sit here and say it sounds attractive to see Jackson the Jigba in a Packers uniform. But at the end of the day, there's a lot more important positions and value to address. Because if you get your hands on a Peter Skoransky, which is probably going to happen because local Chicago area kid, Northwestern product ends up with the Packers. But if you get your hands on a guy like a Skoransky or Darnell Wright, a Broderick Jones, that I think is far more valuable to the development of Jordan Love than a wide receiver. Interesting. I haven't thought offensive line as a possibility for the Packers because you know, the Packers are like, the, they're like one of the best in the NFL at drafting and developing offensive linemen. They've been able to do it um, for many, many years where they get these mid-round guys and they just get the most out of them. But I think that could be an option for them. Certainly, like you mentioned, like Boxiari is getting up there in age. Jenkins, I think they see him as a guard long-term. They tried him at tackle. It didn't really quite work out with him coming off the ACL injury. So I think they see him as a guard long-term. Um, they have Yash Neiman, but he's on the last year of his contract. Um, so is he a long-term piece for them? You know, who knows? And they drafted Zach Tom in the fourth round last year, who's, who showed some promising signs, but is he a long-term building block and tackle um, that, you know, that's yet to be, be seen at this point. So tackle could be an option here, you know, uh, with, you know, Paris Johnson, uh, you look at Darnell Rout, right? You look at uh, Broderick Jones, all could be potential options there, uh, as well as Peter Skaronsky. Um, but I do think if they were to go wide receiver here, it has to be uh, Jackson Smith and Jig- Jigba. And like you said, like that could be the option for them and why they would want to make this move to kind of jump the Patriots who could be in the market for a wide receiver. I could certainly see that being the case. And um, for the Packers, like I almost think that they'd be better off going wide receiver early because there is a drop off, I think, between uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba with the rest of these guys in this draft class. And I'm not sure if you're getting a guy in the second round that's going to be, um, you know, as good or as, as impactful as the JSN for them. Um, but who knows? Like, this is the Packers. Like, they've made it 
uh, like a tradition for them where they always pass up on a drafted wide receiver in the first round and they always address it later on in the draft. So I wonder if there's been a draft like a freaky athletic defensive prospect just because they can at this point. That's like that's like their MO. I also would find it funny if they ended up trading Rodgers and in the first first round pick they have without Rodgers, they draft a wide receiver. Even when for so long they neglected drafting a wide receiver in the first round for Rodgers, and that was just one of the biggest talking points throughout um, his time in Green Bay is that they never drafted a wide receiver in the first round. I, I would find it pretty ironic for the Packers to do that um, in this case. Um, there's been some rumors that I've heard that tight end could be an option for them um, high in the draft. Um, I'm not sure if 13 overall is a good value, like Michael Mayer and Duncan Cater, the two best tight ends in this draft um, on my board, but I don't see them either of them being guys that I would take, you know, early in the first round right there. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think that would make a lot of sense. Like, I think, like you said, I, I think it's either they go with an edge rusher um, because they edges a need. And that's something that there are going to be some good value options there off of the tackle or just with the jib. I think those are kind of the three areas I'm looking at for the Packers. Um, and we'll see there what happens there with the Packers because certainly um, what they do there could be a, a big determining factor for how they handle the rest of the draft and um, how that you know impacts Jordan Love's development as a quarterback. But um, moving on from that situation here, um, there are a couple more storylines story to cover here. Let's just go by positions here that I think could be very interesting on draft night to see where guys go and what happens. Um, and one of those is the offensive line. Like we've mentioned, I, I think for a long time, um, it's been assumed that Peter Skaronsky would be the first offensive lineman off the board because, you know, he, he has probably the most consistent tape in this draft class. There's the, the question of whether he's a tackle or a guard, but it's been widely assumed that he's just the best pure offensive lineman here. But now we're starting to hear some rumors that Paris Johnson Jr. could be going early in this draft as the first offensive lineman taken. Um, and specifically, I got, we saw the, I saw the rumor on Twitter today that the Cardinals specifically are interested in drafting him early on this draft. The Steelers are, are interested in trading up for him if he's available later on in the top 10. Um, so when you look at this here, you said, how do you think the offensive line group shakes out when it's all said and done in the first round? Who do you think goes first, and how many do you see going in the first round in general? Because there are some intriguing guys here at the top that could be going high. Yeah, give me about four to five in the first round. You know, Skaronsky, Paris Johnson Jr. are going to be locks. I think those two at one and two can be completely interchangeable. I really like Broderick Jones from Georgia as well as Darnell Wright. After that, I think it gets a bit messy. You know, you could see certainly towards the end of round one, a guy like a Dewan Jones hearing his name called. But again, that would be a bit of a reach. He's more of a true value in terms of being a second round pick. But I would say about four to five guys hear their names called. What I think is so interesting is this, is that when you look at the offensive tackle class, right, there's, I think we're going to hear four to five inside the top 20. And why do I say that? Because you have teams with multiple first round picks like the Detroit Lions, the Seattle Seahawks. You got the Bears at nine that could take an offensive tackle. You know, you have a team like the Washington Commanders, too. So it's one of those where they're going to fly off the board early and often, and there's going to be a bit of a major run. But I don't think teams are necessarily going to be incredibly aggressive about trading up for offensive tackles because when we get into round two, again, the depth and the talent is there. It's just you 
not gonna find this like elite starter like you would with the first four guys. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I think there's definitely a drop-off. Like, ultimately, I think probably, honestly, I think six offensive linemen might go in the first round, six offensive tackles here, if we're counting Skaronsky as a tackle. And I'm counting PJJ um, and Skaronsky are, are the top two. I think Broderick, Jones, and Darnell Wright go in the first round. Um, Anton Harrison and Dewan Jones out of Oklahoma and Ohio State would be my other two guys to watch out for going in the first round as well. Um, in terms of what order they go in is where things get interesting for me because, you know, I, I think that the floor for Skaronsky specifically is number 10 overall. I, I don't think the Eagles would be willing to pass up on a guy like him with his versatility, with his ability to play either tackle spot, um, either guard spot right away. Like he would plug in right away from them as an elite right guard and then be, maybe be an option to replace uh, Lane Johnson long, long-term at right tackle. So it's hard for me to see Skaronsky go any later than 10 um, if he's on the board there. And then the Paris-Johnson thing, I, I really don't know um, how high he's going to go. I think that's the question with Johnson is it's not will he go high is how high are teams willing to take him? Because, you know, while I do really like Paris Johnson as a prospect, I'm not sure if he's on the level of some other offensive linemen that have gone high in years past, such as, you know, Tristan Wirfs or, you know, Panay Sewell or Sean Slater. And I don't think he's that good as a prospect. Now the tools are incredible. They're off the charts good for um, Paris Johnson, but the overall prospect, I'm not sure about, like he's my, best something to tackle in this draft class for a reason. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting to see kind of, you know, his stock rise, it seems, at the last minute here before the draft. And I wonder if that's just rumors just to, you know, you know, throw some teams off here at the last second. So I'm not going to put too much into that. Um, ultimately, I, I, I honestly think I, – I think teams are going to see uh, Paris Johnson be the number one guy for them just because he, he fits the prototype for what teams are looking for at offensive tackle, you know that he can play left tackle or right tackle, maybe even play guard to start off with. So I, I think that's for me, Paris Johnson, it's, it's looking more unlikely that he's going to be the number one tackle. And then we look at the edge rusher position. The big argument that we're seeing at the top here is um, another case where you have a lot of really talented prospects in this draft class. And for a while, for pretty much the entire draft process, it's been Will Anderson is the top guy. He's going to be the first edge off the board. Now we're hearing all these rumors that, well, it may not be Will Anderson. Maybe Tyree Wilson is the guy that goes first um, amongst the edge rushers. What do you make of this rumor here? Do you think that's there's anything to that rumor here? Or do you think that we're just trying to find some things to talk about and that Will Anderson is going to be the guy that goes first regardless? Will Anderson's a better player in the moment, but Tyree Wilson has an incredibly high ceiling. Let's not rule that out. Part of the NFL draft is you projecting where a player is going to 
turn into what they're going to do, where their careers are going to go versus kind of what they've already done. And so those projection pieces are big. Now, I do think that it's a bit of foolishness here. I think that by far, Will Anderson has been the top edge rusher we've seen over the last probably three to four years. I would even go so far as to say maybe even the best college edge rusher since a Chase Young or a Nick Bosa, for example, but Tyree Wilson, I mean, we can't discount him. I think Tyree gets the flack he does because he's a bit older, but I think like a year or two compared to Will Anderson, but again, still nonetheless a solid, solid edge rusher. I remember in one of my January mocks, I actually had Tyree Wilson mocked to the Bears, but again, it's one of those situations where, you know, if you are one of those organizations that has strong ties to Alabama, which again, just so happens that the Houston Texans do by virtue of Nick Casario spending time in New England, it certainly makes sense for you to go Will Anderson at second overall. So there is some truth to it, but there's also, I think, a bit of foolishness. With that said, though, you can't diminish anything Tyree Wilson's done. I mean, he's still going to be a pretty solid player. Yeah, I really like Tyre Wilson too, and I'm not gonna, like you said, I'm not gonna try to drag him down as a prospect to uh, prop up another player. But I, I think it would be pretty ridiculous at this point if Tyree Wilson was the pick over uh, Will Anderson, because Will Anderson, I think he's about as safe as a prospect as you can get in this draft class. You know, if it weren't for Jalen Carter's off-field issues, like Will Anderson is the best defensive prospect this year. Um, you know, if Jalen Carter was had a bit of a cleaner. Um, off-field track record, I would say that Jalen Carter is the best defensive prospect by a pretty wide margin, but Will Anderson, he, he's right right there as well. And yeah, I, I think it'd be pretty crazy if Will Anderson wasn't the pick to be the first edge rusher. If he's not, I would be absolutely floored if that happened. Like I, I just, I cannot see that being the case, but we'll see. We've seen crazier things happen. We've seen teams like they get really intrigued by the upside of a lot of these players, the physical tools that these guys have. And Tyree Wilson, he has the tools that you, you know, they're just really unique, like frequently long arms, good size, good athlete at his size. So he has a lot of things that you can't teach. And coaches, you know, they're going to see that and say, well, I can get the most out of a guy um, with that tool set and I'll have a great player in our hands here. Whereas Will Anderson, he's more of a finished product at this point. So teams may be, I don't know, not as excited um, with the upside of Will Anderson, even though, I think he has a pretty damn good upside as well if we're all, all things considered here. Um, a couple other positions that I think are going to be interested, interesting to follow here. Wide receiver. We've heard a lot that wide receiver is not a strong class this year or a strong group in this year's draft class. Um, you know, it seems like Jackson Smith and Jigba is like the only lock to go in the first round. But after that, there's a lot of questions you know, like Quinton Johnson. Where is he going to go? Is he even a first-round pick? Jordan Addison, he had kind of a rough, you know, pre-jab process from a workout standpoint. Is he a first-rounder? Zay Jones, is he sneaking to the first round? You know, ultimately, you said, how do you see the wide receiver position working on, on the first round of the draft? And how many wide receivers do you see going? And who are those wide receivers that you think go in the first round for you? Honestly, I think it's going to be two receivers that go in the first round, and that for me is Zay Jones just because of his dynamic playmaking ability, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba because of just his sheer talent. I will say these are guys where Jackson Smith and Jigba, top 20 pick. Um, I look at Zay Jones, really a guy that is going to be elite, and here's name called in the back half of round one. When I look at Zay Jones, um, 
the big thing to keep in mind with him is this, right? Is there, I'm sorry, Zay Flowers, my apologies. But when I look at Zay Flowers, I mean, the big thing to keep in mind is I could see a team like the Buffalo Bills trying to make a play for him and drafting him to give Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen another elite weapon. When you look at a team such as the Baltimore Ravens, for example, again, they don't really know what the situation's going to look like. Yes, they just drafted situation with the quarterback yes they went ahead and they just brought in Odell Beckham Jr. on a one-year 18 million dollar deal but they love drafting wide receivers another team that's sneaky good who I would not be surprised if they drafted a guy like Zay Flowers would be at 31st overall the Kansas City Chiefs I mean they have the roster flexibility to add pretty much any position they want after they added George Karlafidis as an edge rusher last year I would not be surprised to see them go Zay Flowers this season Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, for me, ultimately, I think three wide receivers go in the first round. I think uh, Jackson Smith and Jibba, like you said, I think he's a guy who's going to go in the top 20 this year. I'm not sure. Like, I've seen a lot of uh, um, a lot of draft picks and, you know, Bears fans maybe try to type him up as, like, a Jamar Chase level prospect because of that, you know, great season he had in 2021 for Ohio State. But uh, I'm sorry, I, I don't think Jigba's on that level of a prospect, guys. Like he's good, I don't think he's that good. So I think the NFL is going to be a little bit lower on him going high. I, I don't think he goes in the top 10, probably in that 15 to 20 range is where um, he probably goes. I think the Packers are the first team I look at as uh, a team that he would go for in the first round of this draft. Um, but after that, it gets really questionable. I think ultimately Zay Flowers does go in the first round. I think teams are going to see uh, the playmaking ability that he has, the explosiveness that he has, and the upside with his route running ability. Um, and they're going to see a guy that, you know, just does a lot of things that that you can like um, at the wide receiver position in the NFL. And if the Chiefs were able to get him, like that would be almost unfair with him and Mahomes because he's just the perfect player to play next to Mahomes there with his ability to, you know, be a deep threat and get yards after the catch. Like that would just be, I would, <laughs> that'd be just unfair in my opinion. Um, and then the next guy for me, honestly, I think Jordan Addison or Quentin Johnson is probably your option there. I, 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 I go back and forth with it in my two round mock draft that I released on the bear board, which you can go check out. Um, there if you want to give that a look I had Quinton Johnston going in the first round but it wouldn't surprise me if Jordan Addison is is the other guy that goes in the first round because Jordan Addison I think he is the he is the second best pure receiver in this draft class uh, at the wide receiver positions Jackson Smith and Jibba then Jordan Addison and Jordan Addison in terms of day one if you need receiver to come in and be pro ready for you who's your guy Jordan Addison is a pro ready wide receiver. He can play in the slot. He can play outside. Um, he's a really good route runner. He gets open, but there's the question of, he's a really undersized guy. He struggles against press coverage. He struggles against physicality and he doesn't really have, 
you know, a great athletic profile to where you feel comfortable about his upside. Like, is he going to be anything more than just maybe a solid number two? And I think that's where teams are going to get really, you know, questionable with him and, and start to, uh, you know, have some doubts about whether he can be a guy like that. And Quentin Johnson, he has his issues because, you know, big, fast, athletic dude, but every single ball he catches, he lets it go into his chest. He's not really good in contested catch situations, despite being a tall guy and having this crazy leaping ability and, and wingspan doesn't really play physical to catch point. So I think teams may be really turned off by those aspects of his game. So it comes down to those two for, for me, ultimately the way I see it is um, uh, in Jigba, he's probably going to go somewhere in the teens um, for me. And then I could see flowers and um, one other res- receiver um, jumping in at the late, late in the first round and, and being options there. Uh, the last player I want to talk about here before we get some bull predictions here from us um, to kind of preview and, and recap things here or end things here. Um, Bijan Robinson is a player that is, I think, very divisive amongst uh, the draft community because while everyone acknowledges that he is an elite prospect in this draft class, it comes down to the fact that he plays running back. And as we've, you've probably heard me talk about this many times before, and I'm sure you say it is probably along with me here and, um, this is probably, you know, it's, it's a popular take that you don't take running backs in the first round, especially high in the first round, but Bijan Robinson, he's a player that many would argue is an exception to the rule. You say, ultimately, do you think that's the case? Do you think Bijan Robinson goes higher than expected in this draft? And if so, where will he go here on draft night? He's definitely going to go higher than expected just because he's the most talented running back prospect since Saquon Barkley, which it's been five or six years since Saquon entered the NFL. Now, when I look at Bijan Robinson, I mean, there's a handful of things to keep in mind, right? There's always, it seems like one or two running backs every single year over the last couple of years that have kind of gone in the first round. And they've usually been the most talented of the crop, but ultimately, I mean, I think Bijan's just that damn good. He is your bell cow running back. He's the type of running back where le- he is going to be a top 20 pick. I think cause some team is going to add a dynamic playmaker to the backfield with their quarterback. Now, I will also say this. I'm not a fan of drafting running backs in the first round, no matter how dynamic they are, simply because the wear and tear tends to be a lot. And Bijan is coming into college, I'm sorry, into the NFL with a lot of wear and tear on his legs. Now, that doesn't mean he can't be successful. It's just another major red flag, though, that you ultimately want to watch out for because we could look at it right now and say, hey, it's awesome. But four to five years down the line, when we're talking about a potential second contract, there's going to be a lot of different implications. So as great as Bijan is, He's going to be a top 20 pick, but if I was in a GM's chair, I would not have him graded that highly. Yeah, it is going to be fascinating. I think the highest that I see Bijan going is number eight overall to the Falcons because Arthur Smith, I think he's going to be a guy. If the Falcons stay at number eight, they don't trade up, I should say. But I think um, Arthur Smith is a guy who's going to value that running back position. We know he was the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans when they had Derrick Henry there for all those years. And, you know, he was kind of like the rock of that offense here. I think he could see Bijan, a different player, obviously. Um, but I think you could see him, you know, being like that same type of guy where they can just, you know, run their offense through Bijan Robinson and have this run heavy approach. You know, when I did my mock drafts, I, I mocked Bijan Robinson to the Los Angeles Chargers. I think that would make a lot of sense um, in the 20s for him. But 
you know, I look at teams like, you know, what do the commanders do at running back? Do they see him? It's like, is it, does it get to the point where he's the best player on the board and you just take the best player on the board, regardless of the position and you figure it out later, you know, um, you look at some other teams, like do the bears maybe, you know, consider drafting Bijan Robinson because Bijan Robinson, you know, is in a situation where Ryan Poles, he preaches best player available. If the bears decide to trade down on a nine overall, if Bijan's still sticking there, uh, at some point in the draft and some of the tackles are gone, do the bears decide to go running back and combine, you know, Robinson with, um, Justin Fields and had this really dynamic, unstoppable running game. You know, that could be an option that I think could be in play here. Although I probably, you know, have an aneurysm that I haven't done draft night because I would just hate that so much just from a process standpoint for the Bears. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of things in, in play for Bichon. Ultimately, like, I think he probably goes somewhere in the 20s, but it wouldn't surprise me if. He goes higher than that. I think he's a special player. And if he goes top 10, I would be I would be floored if he goes top 10. Like I said, I think the Falcons are the highest he would go at number eight overall. But I don't know. We've seen crazier things happen before. And again, he, he is a great running back prospect. So we'll see what happens with Bijan at the end of the day. Like he's going to be an exciting player at the next level. So we'll see how that all happens on draft night. So as we wrap up here, the last thing we're going to be talking about is bringing this full circle with the Chicago bears. Um, one bold prediction that you have for the bears here on draft night in the first round, you said, and we'll talk about on day two, probably at a later time um, when it's all said and done. But for the first round, uh, what's your bold prediction for the bears and what they'll do on draft night? The bears are going to be the most, one of the most interesting teams to watch on draft night. And here is what I think is going to happen. I think the bears are going to get on the phone with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That rumor about a trade back with Pittsburgh is ultimately going to be true. I think Chicago trades with Pittsburgh for the 17th, as well as the 32nd overall pick. And essentially what that's going to do is this is really kind of bridge the gap and give the bears, you know, multiple day one starters in the process. If I look at Chicago's draft board right now, you're picking at nine and then 53. And guess what? Who's got a gap between that, right? You have the green Bay Packers who are picking at, 13 as well as 45 so i think the bears are going to be making essentially what i like to call a layered move in the sense that they trade from 9 to 17 they pick up 17 and 32 so that they are able to have two picks before the packers actually kind of go ahead and make their next pick just to be able to get some level of talent off the board and quite frankly another interesting big fact to keep in mind is this is that if you're Ryan Poles you've got a first round pick and two second round picks right now that means three day one starters no matter what position you decide to go ahead and draft and then going into the third round I think the Bears need to kind of do the same where got to be another day one starter he, Ryan Poles cannot pull the Velas Jones that he did last year in the sense that just drafted a guy because he was supposedly Debo Samuel Light. We didn't really see much of that. Valus really struggled. It would not be surprised to see him going into training camp being like wide receiver four or five on the roster. Yeah, for me and my bold prediction, um, I also have a trade down bold prediction. But here's a scenario I'm going to paint here. Um, after uh, Bryson goes in number one overall, Texans pass on a quarterback. We have quarterbacks going at three and four overall to 
uh, trading tank, a team trading up to with the Cardinals and the Colts at four overall. A quarterback's going to slide to the Bears at number nine, whether it's Will Levis, C.J. Stroud. I, I don't think Anthony Richardson slips, but let's say Will Levis is on the board. Will Levis on the board, num- number nine overall. My bold prediction, the Washington Commanders are going to come up to nine overall with the Bears. And in return, the Bears are going to get Chase Young and a swap in the second round, um, plus maybe some other draft picks here. So um, that's my bold prediction, not just for draft picks. The Bears getting a trade, uh, getting a player in a trade down, and Chase Young, especially a guy who um, has struggled to start his career in terms of staying on the field for the, for the Commanders. They have a bunch of guys that they have to pay on that defensive line. They've already paid Jonathan Allen. They've already paid De'Aaron Payne. Um, they had to pay Montez Sweat at some point here. And are they a team that is committed to Chase Young long-term? I'm not sure. And if they are going to replace um, Chase Young, this is an ideal draft class to do it because it's a deep defensive end draft. So um, that is my bold prediction there. I mean, it's way out there. I, I'm not sure if that's going to be something that happens, but um, I, I have to put myself on the line here and say, yeah, let, let's just get let's just get nuts here to end this end this podcast and go with that. So that's my bold prediction. Bears train down the Commanders at some point as the Commanders come up for a quarterback. In return, the Bears get Chase Young, as well as a bunch of other draft picks to go along with that. But with that said, it's going to wrap it up for us here at the Picks for Polls podcast. We've talked about a lot of things as as pertains to the 2023 NFL draft, but at this point, I'm just really excited to get there to draft night on Thursday. Really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun this entire weekend um, covering this thing. And we're going to try to get, you know, some type of coverage here for the draft um, over the course of the weekend. Um, But we'll see what happens there. Either way, it's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to it. For all our listeners out there, make sure to like, rate, uh, subscribe to us on all of our platforms where you get your podcasts. Uh, Make sure to follow us on Twitter as well. At Pixar Polls, we're going to be getting certainly some updates on there uh, throughout the course of the weekend. Um, as it pertains to the Bears and the draft. Uh, you say it for all of our listeners, where can they follow you on social media and where can they find your work? Yeah, so you guys can follow me on social media at Usaid Kolshul. You can check out my work on the Bear Report. I'll have an NFC North draft preview dropping on Thursday morning. I also just dropped a key storylines article, so check that out. Yep, absolutely. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at AJFreeman25. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. I just dropped a two-round mock for the entire NFL um, this past, uh, really today, uh, should be already out there. So if you want to get my thoughts on who goes in the first two rounds of the draft for all 32 NFL teams, make sure to check that out. I'm also planning on doing something for the Bearport YouTube channel in terms of a last minute mock final mock draft for the bears, hoping to get that out Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll see what happens with my schedule here. Um, but if this podcast, if this is out by the time this is dropped, uh, make sure to check that out as well on the Bearport YouTube channel and make sure to follow along with us throughout the course of this weekend, we're probably going to be having stuff, whether it's here on the Pittsburgh Bulls podcast or whether it's with Zach on the Bear Report podcast. Uh, make sure to keep uh, make sure to keep in tune for with us here at the Bear Report for all of your Chicago Bears draft coverage. It's going to be a very busy weekend, and I know we're all looking forward to it. So with that said, until next time, Bears fans, bear down, have yourself a great draft weekend, and let's have some fun. Uh, see you guys till next time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. 
all backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.